Welcome to the CanMed Coffee Talk podcast, where we talk with the leading minds in cannabis science, medicine, cultivation, and safety testing. I am your host, Ben Amaralt. I'm the marketing manager at Medicinal Genomics and proud member of the team that puts on the CanMed conference. Speaking of the CanMed conference, have you gotten your tickets yet for CanMed 2022? If yes, then I can't wait to see you out in Pasadena this May for another fantastic event. And if not, what are you waiting for? Head over to CanMedEvents.com now to get your tickets. At CanMed 2022, you will learn from the leading minds in cannabis science, medicine, cultivation, and safety testing. And if you want proof of that, look no further than our keynote presenters. Representing our science focus area, we have Dr. Ethan Rousseau presenting about cannabis and psychiatry. Representing our cultivation focus area, we have Dr. Seth Crawford talking about innovations in hemp breeding. Grace Bandong, our safety keynote presenter, will talk about building a comprehensive analytical testing program. And finally, Dr. Bonnie Goldstein will discuss cannabis medicine for children as our medical keynote. Those presentations alone are worth the price of admission, but please go to canmedevents.com to see the full schedule. And if you want a preview of what you can expect at CanMed 2022, check out our CanMed archive, which is a searchable video library of all the past CanMed presentations and panels. Find that at canmedevents.com. At this year's event, we are also offering a full-day pre-conference medical practicum taking place on May 3rd. The medical practicum is led by Dr. Bonnie Goldstein, Dr. Dustin Sulak, Dr. Kevin Spellman, and Eloise Thiessen. Each of them will share the latest medical cannabis research, including information on dosing, drug interactions, and different product types. They will also share their clinical experience they have acquired treating patients with medical cannabis. This really is a must-attend event for any healthcare professionals who are interested in recommending medical cannabis, but it's not limited to those folks. Anyone who is interested in learning more about medical cannabis can and should join us for this event. Head over to canmedevents.com practicum to learn more. Of course, if you can't make it to CanMed 2022, we have a number of resources to help you stay engaged with our community and enjoy some world-class educational content. You are already off to a good start listening to the CanMed Coffee Talk podcast. Be sure to hit that subscribe button so new episodes download to your device automatically. Second, we have the CanMed archive that I mentioned earlier. It's a searchable video library of all the past CanMed presentations and panels that you can find at canmedevents.com. While you're at canmedevents.com, be sure to sign up for email alerts. That's the best way to make sure you are up to date on all the latest CanMed news and special offers. Fourth, we have our CanMed community Facebook group, which is a great place to share and discuss news and topics related to cannabis science. The link to that group is in the show description. And finally, you can follow us on social media. We're on Instagram, Facebook, Twitter, and LinkedIn. Just search for CanMed Events. This episode, we talk with Itzhak Kurek, CEO and co-founder of Canformatics. Itzhak and his team are measuring the effectiveness of cannabis-based medicines using biomarkers. So far, they have identified dozens of cannabis-responsive biomarkers that can be used to objectively quantify the physiological impact of medical cannabis treatment 
and provide a tool for investigating the metabolic pathways affected by medical cannabis and CBD. Their pilot study looked at patients with autism spectrum disorder and was published in the Journal of Cannabis and Cannabinoid Research in December. During our conversation, we discussed details of the ASD pilot study, the benefits of using biomarkers versus self-reporting, the bi-directional nature of cannabis and the endocannabinoid system, the importance of whole plant, full-spectrum medicine products, how the focus on THC potency stifles medical research, and the challenge of doing proper medical cannabis research with limited resources and available funding. Before we get to the interview, I want to thank this episode's sponsor, Cannabis Patient Care. Cannabis Patient Care Magazine is an educational resource for patients, medical professionals, caregivers, and advocates on the latest research, benefits, and treatment options medical cannabis provides for a variety of illnesses. Learn more at cannapatientcare.com. Okay, without any further ado, please enjoy my conversation with Dr. Itzak Kurek. Good morning, Itzak. Thanks for joining us on the podcast. Hi, good morning. Thank you for inviting me for this podcast. Yeah, for sure. So your team is taking a novel approach to measuring the effectiveness of cannabis treatment by using cannabis responsive biomarkers. And we discussed this topic a little bit when Bonnie Goldstein was on the podcast a little while back, but now we have you here to, to dig into the details a bit more. So Maybe the best place to start is for you to tell the audience about the autism spectrum disorder pilot study that your team has published. So we had an autism uh, disorder pilot study in which we, uh, it was the first time that we, as a proof of concept, uh, showed that we can detect uh, cannabis responsive biomarkers in saliva of children treated with medical cannabis, children with autism treated with medical cannabis. The idea behind that is that we take, we identified metabolites that respond to medical cannabis treatment and uh, analyze the change of those molecules. Uh, and in that way, we, uh, we can see if those molecules change toward any physiological range, which we determine in a, in a group of uh, typical developing uh, children. Uh, and that way we can quantify first time the impact of medical cannabis treatment. Excellent. So tell me a bit about how did you determine which biomarkers were of interest and how do you determine what an optimal range would be? Okay, that, that's a great question. And, and, and to begin with, we, we are lacking of uh, medical or scientific data about cannabis uh, in the literature. Typically, when we start a biotech uh, company, we're looking at solutions that exist, at medical sci scientific paper, any medical information that we can have on that topic. And uh, cannabis will very much beyond behind actually mm -hmm. those those uh, uh, knowledge so we have to discover those biomarkers first or before discovering even prove that they exist 
so what we do, we, we use technology called mass spectrometry, which analyze metabolite in saliva. We separate the metabolite again through a, a liquid chromatograph. That's the technology. And we have a, we, we, we scan for about 1500 molecules. Okay. Once we look, so we look at those molecules before medical cannabis treatment and after medical cannabis treatment and identified uh, in that case, in 15 kids, we identified about uh, 400 molecules uh, that change uh, b- before and after. Now we analyze those molecules. The way we analyze those molecules, we first of all determine that we are interested in molecules that uh, exist at least at nine children out of the 15. So at least nine children has those molecules and they change. Mm. Now we want we, we want to compare them to, as you mentioned, to the physiological range. Physiological range we determine by a typically developing children uh, with the same boys to girls ratio and the same age as the study group. And we, we look at, we average the value of those molecules at, that, at the typically developing group and determine the standard deviation. Hmm. And in a rule of thumb, a, one standard deviation is the physiological range. So we call it a Z-score. And Z-score means how many standard deviations the children with autism uh, away from the physiological range. If you if a child is above uh, two or below two standard deviation, that means that his value is not in the physiological range. Mm. If it's yeah. over four standard deviation, it's uh, significantly uh, in uh, away from the physiological range. And we use our in-house algorithm to analyze all the samples from all the children and see which one of them were far before the medical cannabis treatment and they got closer to the physiological range uh, after the medical uh, cannabis treatment we choose after what we call peak at the time of each parent uh, reported that that's the optimal time that they see a reduced symptom in these uh, children so that way we identified about 65 uh, new cannabis or the first ever cannabis responsive biomarkers that shows a move towards the physiological range in uh, children with uh, autism. Okay. So it sounds like, so you you started with identifying the 1500 biomarkers and then I narrow that down to the 400 that are actually affected by cannabis. And then after, you know, comparing the data from, from the children with autism and the the other children, you narrow that down even further to the 65 that are um, have some implication for autism spectrum disorder and are responsive to um, cannabis treatment. Do I have that right? Correct. So so this is still temporary because uh, we need to increase the data sure. uh, in one way to have a manageable number of biomarkers. But more important, right now, we still don't know within those biomarkers which biomarkers are more important mm-hmm. and which one of them also, which are the biomarkers that associated with uh, symptoms or with phenotype 
of uh, autism. So we still need to rank them, and that comes with uh, more. With once we increase the study, uh, uh, we need to rank those biomarkers and determine which are the most important uh, biomarkers. Yeah. So well, interesting. Sorry, one, one more thing. Uh, when we did the analysis, one rule that we had was that uh, each biomarker that we look had has to exist in all the children, uh, all the typically developing children. So we cannot, because sometimes you don't detect a biomarker because of the level. If the levels are too low, you mm. cannot detect the biomarkers, but we cannot do it with the control group because uh, we need to make sure that that biomarkers is relevant. Right. That makes sense. So, so you said you kind of hinted into the, the next phase of this study. So, so what is that? What, where are you gonna, where are you gonna take this? So as a startup, we are in the fundraising, it's always money and funding. Uh, but the idea is that now we are uh, taking those uh, biomarkers and the study and increase it to about 200 uh, people. Mm -hmm. It's going to go beyond the six to nine-year-old uh, children. We're going to have adults. Uh, more uh, variation with the medical treatment, but it's still under control of medical cannabis treatment and 200 uh, participants will allow us to narrow down to about 20 biomarkers. Those 20 biomarkers uh, would be, in a way, our first service. Once we rank them and have those biomarkers, also it's important for us to determine what is the physiological range. So it's going to be right. another, there, there will be more typically developing participant to uh, make sure that the physiological range could change between ages, gender, uh, sometimes even uh, uh, different uh, ethnic groups. So it all comes within, I mean, the big picture, it's how we're moving toward precision medicine or personalized mm -hmm. medicine. And, right. and, and biomarkers are a part of this huge a precision medicine model. So, so uh, we are expanding it to that 200. And from there, once we have those values, we can start actually provide recommendation uh, for a patient that being treated with the medical cannabis, either through a doctor or a uh, Parents uh, that do it without the doctors, we we can provide a, a how the impact or how well the medical cannabis treatment works. The next step after, if we think about it, probably within once we have about a thousand participants or between thousand to two thousand participants, we can actually start predicting. And I think that's the beauty of the system. It's once we can look at uh, pre-dosing, we look at saliva before medical cannabis treatment and decide or recommend a, a certain uh, product or treatment. The idea of Canformatics is to uh, provide a, a range of products so a patient or families could use either edible or tincture. We, we, we will 
provide both recommendation uh, to a product. Right. So, so the goal is that you sort of do the saliva test, you get a profile or so almost like a fingerprint of your own biomarkers. And then based on that, connect with a, a product that's, that's going to work for you, correct? Correct. Exactly. It, it's, it's almost like, I mean, the idea is when we go to a doctor and we do a blood work, and we see uh, we see uh, I would say glucose at blood blood glucose, or we see cholesterol, and the doctor has a range, and based on that we know if we need the treatment or we we don't need the treatment, and if we need the treatment, typically the doctor knows how much, what type of treatment for a certain uh, range uh, a patient need. Hmm. Yeah, and, and that's a good point, too, that I, I wanted to talk about. So, so you've identified the 65 biomarkers that, you know, have implications here. And, you know, you, you mentioned that we don't really know which ones are the most important. But I'm, I'm curious, are you seeing that the cannabis is sort of at least bringing all of those into some sort of homeostasis. And I guess that's, that's the question I wanted to ask was, you know, we've talked to other medical professionals on the podcast and they always talk about how cannabis has this biphasic effect where, you know, it can upregulate or downregulate based on your, you know, whatever your deficiency is. Um, wondering if you see that in your results as well. Yes. So I think the most interesting biomarkers, the first one or the most significant that we found, and, and that basically with our algorithm, was a, a NAA, which is N-acetylaspartate. And that biomarker, uh, I think in probably 12 or 13 kids out of the 15 changed. But the change was... a four or five kids, it significantly decreased. Mm. At the same time, we saw changes in about four or three kids that it's actually increased. And that's very rare. It's very rare because we typically use kind of beta blockers. We, we use pharmaceutical treatment, which are reducing. In general, we know how to block and reduce things. It's very hard to increase things. And mm. with cannabis, we see naturally increases uh, of molecules or decrease. Now, when we analyze this molecule, actually in the literature, there is disagreement because some studies show that molecule without, not in the context of cannabis, but just as a biomarker for uh, autism. Some claim that it's extremely high and some claims were that it's uh, low. We saw both in saliva. None of those studies were in saliva. We saw both in saliva, but we saw that the increase to the physiological or decrease to the physiological range happened uh, from both directions. Wow. Uh, wow. Yes. Yeah, and that's that's interesting. And, you know, it's interesting you bring up the difference between sort of cannabis and tra traditional pharmaceuticals. One of the other things that we, we commonly see with traditional pharma is you know, sort of this idea of one compound, one target. But, you know, as we're seeing here where we have multiple targets, or at least we think we do with these different biomarkers, and we have cannabis that's affecting these multiple biomarkers, it has multiple compounds within it. How, how do you start to unravel that whole <laughs> Gordian knot of all different things? 
So I, I like the quote from uh, DiMarzo at 1998 about uh, the endocannabinoid system. And he said, he described it as relax, eat, sleep, forget, and protect. And so we see the wide range of uh, activities or functions of the endocannabinoid uh, uh, system. So to begin with, uh, treatment has a multiple effect. And uh, we cannot take, uh, and not only autism, most of the uh, medical conditions that we're dealing with or solving with medical cannabis are typically complex medical conditions. Right. And it's, uh, it's not, so it's hard to see that it's a one target, one uh, compound will, will fix it. You need more than that. It's not like a single shot uh, treatment. And I think cannabis has this potential because of this large collection of active ingredient. We still need to know which active ingredient do what and also what are the dosage that we need to take. But that's the, the beginning. That's the uh, starting point. Uh, in our study, with, I would say it with being very careful with the limited data that we have, we could see that there are uh, at least specific biomarkers or cannabis responsive biomarkers that respond to THC a specific one that responds to CBD. And that's the majority that we saw, biomarkers that respond specific to CBD and few that respond to CBN. Hmm. So due to the small sample size and not huge variation in the treatment, we could only uh, at that point uh, see those uh, changes. And as the data goes, increase, we can get more and more information about other uh, uh, cannabinoid uh, that change. But uh, definitely, uh, it looks like full spectrum or multi-component will have better effect than a single uh, dose or a single active ingredient. Right. Yeah. So you, you mentioned those cannabinoids. Did you see any... Um... Any indications that terpenes are, are playing a role? No, we could not get into that resolution because uh, uh, I think most, I think most of the uh, children use terpenes, so it was very hard to. Uh, 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 the, the reason we can uh, typically we can uh, see the differences is if we have uh, changes in product uh, or ch- in children, we, we detect changes in children that not using THC, for example. So we can right. compare the samples and identify. Uh, we could not get to that resolution yet. But, but terpene, I mean, they should work uh, and they should help because, first of all, we know aromatherapy helps. And uh, we know terpenes have chemical characteristics that help a a solubilized membrane and allowing THC or CBD to enter in the cell. They also working as anti-inflammatory. So uh, it's a treatment by itself. I I think it's just an add-on to the cannabis. Um. 
Curious, were there any patients that were using, because you mentioned, you know, full spectrum medicine, were there any that were using sort of isolated compounds or isolates, or was it pretty much across the board, uh, full spectrum medicines? So some of them use isolate, but it's a combination. So you get at least three, four uh, different uh, active ingredients. Mm-hmm. Uh, also, often you see a full spectrum uh, and then add on another THC or CBD. Uh, but there were at least, uh, I think, three or four uh, active ingredients. One case, there was only one active ingredient. Uh, but again, uh, we're talking about uh, autism, which is it's a it's a spectrum. So we right. cannot also it's a very it's a complex medical condition, and it is wide range of a, a different type of autism. Yeah, that yeah that makes a lot of sense. So I'm curious about, I mean, so we've talked about how, you know, full, full spectrum products are, are the way to go, especially with these kind of multifaceted, uh, disorders. Um, what about on the cultivation side, what sort of diversity should we be encouraging cultivators, um, be growing in order to address some of these, um, these kind of multifaceted conditions? Do you have any thoughts on that? Yes, it's interesting. I, I, I started my journey with cannabis. Uh, I came from the agricultural biotech uh, world, and I thought that uh, the way to go is to improve uh, the strain. And, and I came with ideas that we bring from, from that world, how to do it. And it seems to me that there is a race for THC. Right. Uh, and 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 uh, less for full spectrum. And once we start in a plant, once we start to breed towards THC, I think we're losing all the other uh, active ingredient because the plant becomes a machine only for THC. So all the energy, all the metabolic pathways, everything goes to THC. And we believe that, especially now, we don't know. We don't know which active ingredients are working better for any medical condition. We just know that there are hundreds of uh, hundreds of active molecules uh, of cannabinoids in the plant. The capacity of the plant to synthesize uh, those cannabinoids is huge. And we, we're still talking, ironically, interestingly, we, we're still talking about a, a plant that was already domesticated probably for 10,000 years. So if we would go to the origin, if we can find the origin of those uh, uh, plants, they probably have even higher capacity or more uh, diverse uh, compounds to produce it. We, we, we start domesticating them to one direction. So even we can think about medical conditions that we're trying to uh, use now for uh, like like cancer, I, I would say maybe it's a good opportunity to go back and find other uh, uh, new, mo- uh, old molecules or uh, molecules that exist in the origin of those uh, plants. So I think I, I think that uh, 
yeah, we're losing a huge advantage because co- it's becoming more uh, therapeutics, more, more, uh, more like pharmaceutical. And pharma knows how to do a single molecule in very high purity, very reproducible, and probably cheaper than any other uh, industry. Yeah, absolutely. And we've, uh, we've had a guest on the podcast before who um, their company can actually train yeast in order to create cannabinoids. So, you know, I mean, with that in mind, if, if THC really were the end all be all and that were the holy grail, then you could just, you know, f- feed the precursor to the yeast and have it pump out THC. But um, I think I think you're right. There's a lot more therapeutic potential in the plant with all these other compounds. And I got to imagine one of the, at least one of the challenges in, in sorting that out is the fact that there are a number of compounds that we're not even testing for right now. And so it could be that there is a, a lesser cannabinoid in, in low concentrations, because we also see that as well, that low doses can be very effective. Um, that could be doing a lot of the heavy lifting here that we're, we're just not seeing yet. Absolutely. And, and that's one of the advantage that we are, uh, encourage uh, producer processors to work with us because we, first of all, we can see with biomarkers, one of the things we can see the full picture while when we do a observation or self-evaluation, it's really a portion. It's just the tip of the iceberg. So a person cannot uh, report how is inflammation or how we feel is inflammation or or or, or, or a dysfunctional mitochondria so so when we when we using cannabis responsive biomarkers with a full spectrum or different uh, combination or different extract we can start to see uh, what uh, compounds help which of those biomarkers and that allow us really to dissect the, the, the response and create or even custom made a, a product that help pain, help anxiety, help ALS. All those products can help uh, different or more specifically for a medical condition that now uh, don't exist or, or don't, don't work or not optimized. Yeah. And that's a great point. And I have to imagine too, that in a lot of cases for patients, it's difficult to find consistency in their products as well. They'll, they're find they find a product that works for them. Um, they use it for a while, then either, you know, that product goes away or they have different source material for, for a new batch. And then, um, you know, it doesn't work as effectively where I think that, you know, if we have more studies like this to really identify what those compounds are and how they're actually moving the different biomarkers, then, you know, that's a real strong indication to those cultivators and those producers that, you know, these are the types of products that we need. Correct. Uh, but, but that, uh, again, it brings us to where we started. It requires R&D yeah. and it requires a cash or finance. It requires a funding. And uh, by the end of the day, uh, we'll not always know how to produce those molecules because we don't understand how the plant does them. So some of the re- one of the reasons that I can see inconsistency is because we cannot replicate the, condi- the condition uh, to grow the plant. 
and to always get those uh, exact molecules. And, and some of them, what we call minor cannabinoid, there is a reason uh, why they're minor, because the plant doesn't make enough. Uh, whatever it makes, it right now for those conditions is good. And so we need to learn also, it needs to come also from the, the plant side and understanding how to grow plants or how to stress the plants. These are stress molecules that produce when the plant is stressed. So how to stress the plant uh, in order to get those uh, uh, cannabinoids out and to get a, a consistency uh, in those minor cannabinoids. Wow, yeah. No, I hadn't, I hadn't thought of that, that, <laughs> that there might be um, certain stresses or certain uh, things that we can, we can do to the plant to kind of coax its production of these minor cannabinoids. That's, uh, that's interesting. <laughs> I, yes, I mean, we have to remember the, the cannabinoids, the plant doesn't make it for us. It makes it to deal with the UV or it makes it deal, it deals with, it deals with uh, uh, insect, uh, sometimes pollination. Uh, depends on the plant and depends on the, on, on the molecule, but there are needs uh, during stress. Uh, sometimes it's drought. Uh, mm-hmm. All kind of uh, plants don't work. So when they exposed to to stress, whatever they have in their in their arsenal, it, that's what they can fight with. So that's why the the genome is big, right. and right. and they create much more, many more uh, secondary metabolites like cannabinoid. So and we don't know, and and, and that's a basic science it, that we don't have. And companies uh, typically don't do it. It comes from the academia, but right now there is no funding uh, for this type of studies. Yeah, that's the unfortunate place we are, right? With the um, with the legal framework the way it is, it's really kind of hamstringing us on on what we can we can find out about this plant. But you know, thankfully, there's there's folks like like you and and others who are attending CanMed who, who are doing the work um, and, and sharing their, their findings. And hopefully we can all advance this together um, and make the best of the situation that we have. It's, uh, yeah, and that's why uh, uh, the way CanFormatics uh, uh, does it, we publish. And we published right. the first paper about the cannabis-responsive biomarkers. Should be pretty soon, I hope, a second paper coming. Uh, which we use a, a little bit of a, 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 we use a different uh, a separation method and identify another group of uh, cannabis responsive biomarkers, mainly from uh, from lipids, and we're gonna do it with any medical condition that we are working. Uh, we'll try to publish as much as possible because I think it's between companies and producer processors right now and. In the whole industry, uh, generate the knowledge uh, and try to share it because everybody's going to benefit from that. I I agree with you, and I guess that's a good segue. If people want to learn more about the work that you all are doing, or if if there's a way to um, either sign up for updates or follow you on social media, anything like that, please uh, plug away now, and um, I'll put links to. Uh, all those resources in the show description as well, so people can easily find them. This is your cue for Kim. 
Oh, yeah, and in our case, in our case, it's obviously canformatics.com. Uh, there is a link for our paper and uh, also a short video about the technology and uh, our subscription that we are uh, keep announcing our uh, findings. So these are all uh, canformatics.com. Excellent. Those are great resources. All right. Uh, I want to thank you again, Itzhak, for joining us on the podcast. Um, and I look forward to meeting you and the team out at CanMed uh, this May. Thank you very much. I hope you enjoyed my conversation with Dr. Itzhak Kurek. Check out the links in the show description to learn more about the topics we discussed. And thanks again to our sponsor, Cannabis Patient Care Magazine. Our next episode drops March 30th. That's two weeks from today. In the meantime, please do check out the CanMed archive and join the CanMed community Facebook group to stay connected with us. Of course, you can also stay in touch with us on social media on Facebook, Instagram, LinkedIn, and Twitter. Just search for CanMed events. Sign up for email alerts on canmedevents.com to stay up to date with all the latest news. And please be sure to rate, review, and subscribe on your favorite podcast app. Doing so helps us reach more listeners. I do sincerely hope to see all of you out in Pasadena this spring. But until then, stay safe, stay healthy, and please join us for the next CanMed Coffee Talk.